And we got Haley Creek. Now, who's the fearless leader of this bunch? <laughs> there is not a single person they pointed to that was the same. Say, so who's our leader and where'd he go? <laughs> I don't know which one the fearless leader, but we're going to invite him up here. Somebody's going to speak up. Oh. <laughs> Well, we sang last night more old bass. So we forgot to tell Jimmy he ain't even got a guitar, but he's going to stand up there and sing. Testing one, two. We're going to do, uh, you going to sing, you going to sing. They boss me around like you would not believe when we go off places. I'm telling you. Live beyond the grave. We're going to do that song. Well, we're going to live beyond the grave, but there's two ways to go. You need to be sure you're going the right way when you live, live beyond the grave. journey here is on. Time for me to be no more. I want to dwell with all the same. I want to live beyond the grave. When death has come, when death has come and I
Second Kings chapter 6, Second Kings chapter 6 as we look to God's Word there. Second Kings chapter 6, hopefully you already have your Bible there. We were in this chapter last time, we talked about the axe head and them recovering it. It was a pretty neat story. 
Let's begin 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for there thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. It means more than once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not now show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, but king, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this being able to share a reading of your word and that we would learn what your word has to speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I forget, I can't ever wear my right hearing aid when I got on this head microphone, so putting that up. Nothing like setting $2,000 on the table. Ah, took a while to pay off. That's like setting a car down. All right, let me get going here. Now, as, as you look at this message, you say, well, what in the world does a story about Elisha and a king of Syria and a king of Israel have to do with me? Well, <laughs> This is a pretty neat story. There's a lot of stories in the Bible when you're kind of scanning them and you're just looking at them. You're like, well, what can you get out of that? What does it, that has nothing to do with me this morning. But, you know, in the title of it, when the world has you surrounded, I bounced around several titles and sometimes I can get fancy with them. Sometimes I just throw one down because just God doesn't lay a specific one on my heart. But basically it's like this. Whenever you're going through life and you have a bunch of problems, and it seems like your problems are overwhelming you. Matter of fact, your problems have you surrounded. I mean, it's just, matter of fact, sometimes in your life you felt like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't see a way out of this situation. I just don't understand how I'm going to find a solution to this situation or problem. Well, in looking at this this morning, let's sum up the beginning of this and looking at point one, when facing trouble, it's good to know that God's on your side. And, and we looked at uh, this neat story that the king of Syria and Assyria and Israel, Syria is just north of Israel, and uh, Syria and Israel warring. And now Elisha was a prophet that lived in Israel. Uh, mainly with us in there or in Samaria was basically the capital of Israel. And so Syria's like, hey, let's sneak down to this mountain pass. And whenever, I know the armies of Israel are going to pass this way. And they would set up these ambushes 
to capture and say, can I kill so many platoons of the Israeli army? Well, every time that would happen, and he said that this happened more than once or twice, which means several times. And basically the king of Syria then says, who of you is a double agent? Which one of you are telling the king of Israel? Because every time we plan an ambush, they, they don't go that way and they don't go for it. Matter of fact, they go around like they already know where we're at. And we set up an ambush, it's not working. And the king of Syria was like going, on, what's wrong? And basically his commanders and his generals said, well, you don't realize Israel has a secret weapon. They have a prophet. And this is a prophet of God, even though they may not have believed in that God or trusted that God. And he said, well, what is this prophet doing? Well, every time, man, he probably knows what you're saying in your bedroom. He probably knows all your secret. This prophet, he has some way of knowing. And he's the one. We're not double agents. We're not telling on anybody. There's no secret service agents here. It's that prophet Elisha. And so guess what the king of Syria says? Where does he live? Send a platoon down. Get the best Green Berets, Navy SEALs we have. Send them down. He, they said, well, he lives in Dothan. Okay, I'm sending out orders. Surround it. No way that he can get out. Not even James Bond 007 can get out of this trap. And so, folks, when you feel like you're facing a tough day, when all your tractors are breaking down, when the car won't crank, and everything's tearing up, and the kids are misbehaving, and everything's falling apart in life, at least you're not surrounded by a Syrian army. Even though sometimes it feels like it. So as we look at this story, just I want to cover a few quick verses. So... He says there, number one, God's on his side. And let's just take a quick peek at these verses that I have for you in point number one. So I need, if I'm facing a bunch of problems, these are some verses that I need to remember. I'm going to put my finger here, Psalms 140, like we normally do. Let's get them there. All right, what's the next one? Romans 8, 31. All right, they're all in order. It ought to be real easy for you. And then a little bit further to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay? Alright, got it. In Psalms 140 and verse 12. I know, this is the Psalm of David as you can see in the title. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. God is going to help those who feel like they have no help at all. And then if you look just, of course, pretty good ways over to Romans chapter 8, a very, very famous verse to a lot of people. Romans 8.31 says this, What shall we say then... And it says about these or to these things or about these things. If God be for us, who can be against us? Did you know if it's just you and God, nothing can overtake you? 
Even if it's just you and God, nothing can overtake you. And then, of course, a very, very famous promise in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which I'm going to sum up. 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is the common man. No temptation, no test, but God will, with every temptation or test, make a way for you to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now, what are these promises? Number one, if God's against you, it doesn't matter if you have an army. But if God's for you, it can just be you and Him. Matter of fact, did you know one person and God equals a majority every time? Because it's not God, will you be on our side? It's are you on God's side? You don't ever ask God to come on your side. You say, God, what do you want me to do? Whose side are you on? That's the side I need to be on. I need to be on God's side. That's the difference, okay? So, Elisha made an enemy. And as we look at our text, I told you the story about how he made an enemy. The king of Syria did not like him. Now, listen to me very closely. Did you know this? Did you know that you, if you try to live a godly life, if you try to live a Christian life, you're going to make enemies. You say, well, I'm such a nice person. Why would I want to? Did you know people don't like nice people? <laughs> you say, that's a, that's a contradiction. No, no. No, everybody does like nice people, and that's true. But what it is, is when you go so far, if you're just nice, that's fine. But if you try to live for the Lord, well, who do you think? And a lot of times, if you're, you're just trying to live for the Lord, you're just like, I'm trying not to cuss, and I'm trying not to live a nice life. I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm, but people... If people are not living that way, it's almost like they despise that. Man, you just think you're more righteous. No, I'm just trying to live for the Lord. You think you're going to church. There, you must make you better. No, I'm just going to church because I love Jesus. And all of a sudden, you become the enemy. I'm like, I'm just trying to live for the Lord. And so a lot of people can't handle that. And they'll say, well, I... Since people don't like me anymore because I'm trying to live for the Lord. People don't like me anymore because I'm trying to read my Bible. And every time you try to live for God, what it does is it separates you from the world because you don't act like the world anymore. You don't talk like the world. Therefore, they say, I can't handle the pressure. But all you're doing is living for the Lord. And that's what Elisha was doing. He was just living for the Lord. And all of a sudden, he's saying, you don't need to be doing these sneak attacks in Israel. And so he would warn the king of Israel, don't go there. And all of a sudden, the king of Syria is out to kill him. So just living for the Lord can make you an enemy with somebody. You say, I don't deserve this, but Jesus didn't deserve anything. And they killed him. You say, well, he gave his life. Yeah, he allowed himself to be killed. You can say it ever how you want to. Yes, he sacrificed his life. Yes, he could have called 10,000 legions of angels and a million gazillion angels, but he didn't. And he allowed himself to be killed. Ever how you want to phrase it. He didn't deserve death. He was the nicest guy in the world. He was perfect and never made a mistake, did he? And they killed him. But he, he had to do that to be our sacrifice, to be our Savior. 
Matter of fact, I do want you to look at those next verses. Man, these verses here, if you read them with me and turn there and listen to them, now you may not have brought your Bible this morning, that's fine, just listen. Next time, or look on somebody else's Bible. But these verses are, right now that I'm about to share with you are so powerful, a lot of people will say, I don't believe that. And it's in God's Word. Matter of fact, if I put my finger here on 1 John 3 and then just back up a few pages to James, it's not very far in my Bible and I'm sure not yours either. James is just not too far behind there. <clears throat> or before there, actually, it would be a better way to say it. <clears throat> but let's read 1 John 3 first. In 1 John 3, verse 11, the Word of God says this, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Who taught it very first off the bat? Jesus did. Now, God did even in the Old Testament, but in their sphere, they said, well, Jesus taught this during His ministry. He said, we don't need to be as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he, in other words, why did he kill him? Why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Remember, Cain offered some fruit of the ground for an offering. And Abel offered an animal sacrifice, blood sacrifice. And God had preference to that sacrifice. And basically, I believe, because Abel's heart was right. And anyway, in doing that, he said, man, I can't believe that you were accepted of God. But what it was, it all came down to his heart. God knew Cain's heart. And, of course, Cain, his heart was so bad, he killed his own brother. Now, the Bible goes on to say this. Marvel not, brethren. In other words, verse 13, where am I? 1 John 3.13, basically, in country boy language, don't be surprised if people don't like you when you live for Jesus. But a lot of people can't, will stop living for Jesus in order to be liked by people. Did you hear me? A lot of people will stop going to church in order to be popular, in order to be liked by people, in order not to be different. And I don't, I don't want to be... Look, I just want to have fun and live life and have friends... Therefore, I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop reading my Bible and stop praying. That's what verse 13 is about. We know that we've passed from death unto life, 1 John 3, 14, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer, and I'm going to say the next part in the way we would talk, no murderer or people that hate other people, cannot be saved. Cannot be saved. Now, I know a lot of people whimsically say, well, I just hate them. But if you truly do, if you truly hate somebody, the Bible says there's no way you can have Jesus abiding in your heart. And that's just the Bible. In James chapter 4, in verse 4 and 5, it says, you adulterers and adulteresses, in other words, as spiritual adultery. If you've joined with God and you're unfaithful to God, if I'm unfaithful to Karen, I'm an adulterer. 
there's the the world has a lot of other terms for that, but the Bible just says you've committed adultery. If I'm unfaithful to Karen, and you say, can can I be faithful to Karen if I'm ninety five percent faithful? Well, is that still adultery? Just five percent of the year am I unfaithful? Therefore, it's okay. But folks, the Bible says if you do that with God, you're committing adultery with God. Spiritual adultery. You're being unfaithful. What is, un- what is adultery? Unfaithful to your spouse. Who is my spiritual spouse, so to speak? Who is my spiritual partner? Who am I supposed to be committed to? God. I'm a Christian. If I'm unfaithful to God, I'm committing spiritual adultery. That sounds really harsh, but that's how serious God takes it. And then he goes on to say, to put it in context, Know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Now that's strong language. Well, let's go back to our text and just look at this. It's pretty cool. I've got to move on because either A, I don't want to lose you, or B, we've got to stay moving. All right, so, where was our story? Uh... The king of Syria did not like Elisha. He sent a platoon of green berets, Navy SEALs, to surround the town where Elisha was. So he's looking up there. He wakes up for his morning coffee. Now, Elisha had a, had a servant, basically a student, basically, like an associate pastor, like Trey. He had an associate pastor, if you will, even though there weren't like we call churches in the Old Testament. But he goes out, Trey goes out for his morning coffee. There's, it's like living in over there, say, hot springs, the uh, mountains around there. It's about how high they are in that part of the country. And maybe just a smidgen higher. But anyway, nevertheless, he goes out for his morning coffee and he goes, Oh! 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 Elisha! Come here! Quickly! And you can look at it. It says it right there. He said, as you look at it, he said, uh, he's all all excited. And uh, verse 16, matter of fact, the end of verse 15, I'm in 2 Kings 5, excuse me, 2 Kings 6, 15. And so he risen early, got up, he sees everybody, and he says it this way in my Bible, Alas, Master, how shall we do? Which says this to me, he's saying, what do we do? What this is we're done for. He's already negative. <laughs> Elisha says Young Padawan learner, little whippersnapper, my associate, the people that are on our side are a whole lot more and a whole lot bigger than this little whippersnapper of an army they got surrounding us right now. And he's still freaking out. And so guess what Elisha does? Elisha prays and says, Lord, will you please open my servant's eyes so he can see what I'm talking about. He opens his eyes, and you can read it there. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And he sees flaming tanks. That would be the equivalent today. Chariots of fire. Horses, angelic beings, soldiers of the Lord. Matter of fact, there's other places where God's 
holy, righteous army in heaven is seen in this pretty cool, neat study. But anyway, and he sees, I mean, it's like, and they're lined up with holy flaming M16s and grenade launchers and everything, but these are, this is the heavenly army. This is an army from heaven that you can't see. Did you know there's spiritual beings? There's bad ones and there's good ones. There's angels, there's demons. There is, these things are real. Caleb asked me the other day, Dad, do you believe in ghosts? I said, define ghosts. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, he said, like, uh, floating around in the cemetery? I said, no. And uh, so, but anyway, there are spiritual beings in this world. The Bible says, matter of fact, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so, and that's what he saw in the heat, and Elisha knew they were there. Matter of fact, Elisha probably didn't even see them himself, but he knew that number one, he's on God's side. And if God wants me dead, that's fine, but if not, guess what? I've got somebody on my side. Now, whenever he saw them, can you imagine being Elisha's servant and seeing that? Oh, man, you're going to get yours. You're going to get yours. Yeah, you're done for. But guess what? Unlike a lot of people in Ashley County, Elisha did not do what his flesh wanted. Now, I say that because my I battle with my flesh. Has anybody ever been mean to you? So mean and vindictive, talked about you, did something to you, posted something on Facebook. That's the big thing nowadays. And just so negative and so atrocious. And you either A, got them back, or B, you really wanted to get them back. And you let a 10 million, 10 cylinder cuss word fly from here to yonder. And you ripped them to shreds. Basically, you listened to your flesh and you did everything that made your flesh feel better. Now, Elisha could have done that. But this is it. He acted like Jesus, even in the Old Testament. Because he said, Lord, turn their lights off. He said, strike them with blindness. It's in there. And all of a sudden, he goes up to the commander of this platoon of Green Berets and Navy SEALs, and he says, uh, let me take you to where you need to go. Because the fellow didn't really know Elisha's voice, so he's saying like, well, I guess we're going to have to go with you because somebody just made us blind. And so Elisha, somehow or another, leads the army, the platoon, to Samaria, where the king of Israel is. And as they get there, we don't have all the details of the setting, but they get there, and the king of Israel's there. Notice what happens. Notice what happens. Remember, this is the enemy platoon of green braids, bad honchos. What's their mission? Kill Elisha. Elisha leads them into, like, the White House. The White House, surrounded by the Marine Corps. And he says in verse 17, okay, uh, or excuse me, that's when he opened his eyes and seen all the fire. Okay, he came down 
Verse 18, smite them with blindness, did all that. Verse 19, he said, uh, this is not the way, neither the city, come along with me. He led them to Samaria, verse 20. And it came to pass when they were come to Samaria, Elisha said, okay, the fellows that are blind, he prays again, and he asks the Lord, open their eyes. In other words, everything's back normal, 20-20 vision. The Lord opened their eyes and they saw they were in the middle of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, my father, basically he said, preacher! You know, a lot of people in Ashley County, they don't even know Michael Reese. They just said, that's a preacher at Promised Land. They don't even know his name. They just, and that's what the king said. He said, father, preacher, what, you want me to kill him? <laughs> Thank you for delivering this gift this morning. He had, I mean, he had the spears, the, the machetes, everything leveled down on him because all the men, they got them surrounded now. And guess what happens? Shall I kill him? Verse 21. Verse 22. Thou shalt not smite them or kill them. Well, dost thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Matter of fact, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink. And go to their master. And he prepared a great provision for them. When they had eaten basically this, he took them to Golden Corral. <laughs> he did. He took them to Cracker Barrel. I mean, it doesn't say he fixed a bologna and cheese sandwich there, does it? No, look what it says there. He said he prepared, notice verse 23, great provision. You see it there? It wasn't a bologna and cheese sandwich. I mean, he fed them and fattened them up. He's a... Because, listen, the Bible teaches when somebody's mean to you to return kindness for evil. Did you hear me? Your flesh, don't any of you lie to me because you'd be lying if you said other words. When people are mean to you, your first inclination... The flesh, anyway. Your flesh wants to get even. It does. Now you say, well, my spirit spoke immediately and I really didn't want to harm them and I'm a nice person. That's true, but your flesh... Oh, I just want to see justice done. Our idea of justice is not... Did y'all know this? God's idea of justice and our idea of justice is not the same. It's not the same. Matter of fact, he showed kindness to them. The Bible, and I'm just going to talk about Second Corinthians chapter four, and uh, talking about God being in control. That was just uh, the account of crossing the Red Sea, you know. And I think about that crossing the Red Sea account. And did you know that uh, a lot of times, this is in the Bible throughout the Bible. Whenever. Uh, <clears throat> Moses led the children, which is that Exodus 14 Scripture, when Moses led the children of Israel across the Red Sea, do you think a bunch of the elders of Israel said, well, Moses, we don't need to cross the Red Sea because we've never done that before. That happens in a lot of Baptist churches. Uh, preacher, what are you trying to lead us to do? We've never done that before. Well, I think they saw the Egyptian army and they said, Yes, I know we've never crossed on dry land through a river before, but let's do it. 
As a matter of fact, when Jesus calmed the storm, they didn't say, well, Jesus, don't do that because we've never done that before. There's a lot of things you might have not ever done before, but if God's leading you to do it, that's what He wants you to do. It doesn't matter. Don't ever say that because it doesn't make sense. We've never done that before. Most of the stuff Jesus did have never done before. In Moses and so on, in Elisha, the same way. But God was leading them. And you don't, and whenever the world attacks you, when somebody says something mean to you, and somebody is unkind to you, or just somebody rips you to shreds, don't listen to your flesh. That means what you immediately want to do. Say, well, what does the Lord want me to do? Matthew chapter 5. This is getting ready for the end. And I know I'm praying right now that when we have this hymn of invitation in just a second, that you would do what God wants you to do. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said this, in my Bible and in yours, if it's a red letter edition, it looks like this. It's just red. <laughs> a lot of red right there. Jesus is preaching. And He said, you have heard it that it had been said. <clears throat> what does that mean? It means you were raised to retaliate. If somebody hits you, hit them back harder. If somebody calls you a name, beat them to smithereens. That's how you were raised. That's what Jesus is saying here. I know how you were raised, but thou shalt love thy neighbor. This is what he's saying. You've heard, you've been raised to love your neighbor and hate anybody that's mean to you. Here's the but, verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For He maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and He sendeth the rain on people that are nice and not nice. It says just and unjust, I know, but... For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? <clears throat> How would I say that? How would I say verse 46? Isn't it easy to be nice to people that are nice to you? What to, what's really hard for every one of us in this room? To be nice to people that are mean to you. That is hard. Matter of fact, matter of fact, if somebody is just really, I mean, almost you could say wicked mean to you or your family. You say, don't mess with my family. I'll come at you. <laughs> don't mess with my family. You know what your children, you know what would blow your children's mind? This, per, this, this person has been mean to your child. You go over there, take your child over there, and you try to figure out what the problem was. And then your child sees you. I know there's been a misunderstanding, and this might have happened, this might have happened, da-da-da-da-da, a gazillion circumstances. 
Well, what if your child witnessed you right in front of this so-called perpetrator? Pray for them. And your child sitting there going, Mommy didn't kill him. Wow. Mom prayed for them. Not how everybody else acts. But guess what most kids will do? They'll see how mom and dad behaves and they'll do exactly the same. Don't, they won't do as they, you tell them to do. They will do as you show them. They'll do that if you're mean and vindictive and vengeful. They'll grow up to be the very same. Don't mess with my family. Don't mess with my... And sure, we protect our kids, and I want to protect my kids, but can I set, even in a hurt mode, can I set a Christ-like example? Can I react in the way Jesus would want me to react instead of the way everybody else acts. Oh, by the way, it'll be your choice. This week, what I'm talking about may happen to you. This week, the world may surround you. Somebody may attack you. Somebody may say mean things about you this week. And it'll be your choice how to respond. As we prepare for Him invitation... Whatever the Lord is leading you to do. To pray for. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe, maybe you want to pray for a revival. Maybe you want to say, you know what? I, I, I'm tired of setting a bad example in front of my family, friends, co-workers, my kids. They, they, I want them to grow up and see that Christians live differently. And I am a Christian, but I haven't been living like one. Or do, I just want a stronger walk with the Lord. Or maybe there's somebody here this morning and you've never been saved. And, and you're, I never, I, I, man, I'm a good person, but the Bible says that without Christ, our goodness is as filthy rags. He wants our heart. Invite him to come in.